Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And as you're turning, we'd like to welcome our internet audience as well as those of you who are present in our service this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 through 20. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God, that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be, that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you're yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and is become the first fruits of them that slept. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of reasons for the resurrection. Reasons for the resurrection. In our text, verse number 12, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you? And may I remind you, he's talking to the church members at Corinth. How say some among you that there's no resurrection? There are five basic areas of the first coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. They are, number one, the virgin birth, his sinless life, his atoning death, his bodily resurrection, and his ascension. The modernists and the infidels in generations past, as well especially in this generation, have tried to discredit these areas. I'm fully convinced that a man must accept and believe these five areas. And if they do not, they do not know the Lord. And especially is this true of the resurrection. In 1 Thessalonians 4.14, Paul admonished us to believe not only that Jesus died but that he rose again. So we see that the resurrection is one of the cardinal doctrines in man's salvation experience. And so we come to look at this truth more closely today. Events preceding the resurrection. What had happened before the resurrection? There is a verse in Matthew twelve forty that states this, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days 
and three nights in the heart of the earth. Did you hear what he said? A close study of scripture reveals that Good Friday is nothing but tradition. The Roman Catholics have handed us a greased ball on that subject. As a matter of fact, they did the same thing with Christmas, saying it has to be on December the 25th. Christ was not born on Christmas Day, but at another time indeed. Actually, Christ was placed on the cross sometime about 9 o'clock a.m. on Wednesday morning and died about 3 p.m. on Wednesday evening. Now, by the time Joseph secured permission from Pilate to get the body of Jesus and then prepared that body for burial, we can safely assume it must have been right at 6 o'clock p.m. Wednesday evening when they placed him in the tomb. Now, I do and am familiar with some of the arguments against what I've just said. (laughs) I never have been able to get how you can get three days and three nights from Friday to early Sunday morning. I've been told by those who are advocates of that position, well, it's quite true. The number three really doesn't mean three as we think of it today. Let me ask you a question. Was Jonah in the belly of the fish three days and three nights? Oh yeah, Jonah was there. Well, even so, Christ must be in the heart of the earth three days and three. What is it about three you don't like? Three days and three nights. Thus we have here these three days and three nights from 6 o'clock p.m. on Wednesday until sometime after 6 p.m. on Saturday evening. If he died about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, again, they had to have permission from Pilate to take the body down and to prepare that body. So if they got him into the grave by 6 o'clock on that Wednesday evening, my dear friend, uh, that that was something to be observed. Those are the events preceding the resurrection. And then the resurrection itself. Matthew 28, 6 is summed up in this statement by an angel. He's not here. He's risen. A huge stone sealed the sepulchre. Soldiers stood guard about the tomb. Could you and I have been on the inside of that pitch dark tomb with the Lord, what would we have seen? Sometime after 6 p.m. on Saturday, we would have seen the darkness turn into light. We would have seen his dear eyes open once again and his body would have stirred. Immediately we would see him stand to his feet, laying aside the grave clothes and the napkin about his face. And then we would watch as he quickly exited out the top of the stone sepulchre. Later we would feel an earthquake. We would see the angel of God roll the stone away to let the witnesses in and say he is not here. He is risen. Question. 
why did he resurrect? Why did he resurrect? What are some of the reasons for the resurrection? I hope you enjoy this, but I also hope that it stirs your curiosity that you'll study it out. Most people get up and get out of bed in the morning because they have places to go and things to do. The Lord Jesus got up from the grave because he had places to go and things to do. Thus were reasons for the resurrection. Let me mention a few, and I shall do so hurriedly to conserve the time that we have. Jesus Christ arose from the dead to complete the atonement. The atonement was not completed on the cross. The atonement was completed in the Holy of Holies. If you study carefully the Old Testament, especially those chapters that deal with the tabernacle, you'll find out that just outside the tabernacle was a big brazen altar. It was the largest piece of furniture in the tabernacle, and this is where they slayed all the animals. But they did not walk away from the brazen altar saying, well, that's all there is to it. No, the priest had something else to do. After the animal had been slain, that blood had to be taken inside the tabernacle, the outer or the holy place into the holy of holies, separated from the holy place by a veil and sprinkled on the mercy seat. And do you remember what? was at the mercy seat. There was an angel on one side, an angel on the other, and their wings met. And where their wings met, God said, that's where I will meet with you. And the blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat, and then the priest would come out and say, the atonement has been completed. The atonement was not completed on the brazen altar, but in the Holy of Holies, Preacher, do you happen to have a scripture? Just happen to have one. Yes. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. I think it's quite interesting that when Christ rose from the dead, there were a couple of ladies whose names were Mary who had come to pay homage to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was early, early in the morning. And the Lord Jesus stood behind a lady by the name of Mary Magdalene and said to her, What seekest thou? And she said, I've come to see my Lord. They've taken his body away and we do not know where they have laid him. And Jesus Christ spoke the magic word as only he could say, Mary. And when he said Mary, Mary Magdalene turned around and reached out to touch him. And Christ said to her, touch me not. I think it's strange that the very same day, a few hours later, he appeared to some of the disciples 
And according to another gospel writer, they held him by the feet and worshipped him. I'm reminded of Thomas, who laid out of church one Sunday, not after that, not too long after that. But when he finally came back to church, the disciples were talking, you really missed the service of services. Christ was here bodily. And Thomas said, I'll never believe it until I can take my finger and put it in the holes in his hands and take my hand and thrust it into his side. And the Lord Jesus invited Thomas to touch him. But he said to Mary Magdalene, Touch me not. Why? He gives the answer. In John 20, 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. Here's the reason. For I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend, by the way, that's present tense. I am ascending. I do not believe this speaks of the normal ascension of Christ, which happened 40 days later. He was telling Mary Magdalene, I am the process of ascending now. Where was he going? He was going into the Holy of Holies to present the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary to complete our atonement. Mary reached out to touch him and could not. Another reason why he ascended from the, res- the, the grave was to confirm his priesthood. His priesthood. Up until then, there were more priests than you could shake a stick at because priests died and they needed to be replaced And it took a whole lot of priests to take care of the work of God and they were dying and so they had to be replaced. Many priests, but Jesus Christ is our only priest and he rose from the dead to confirm that. In the book of Hebrews chapter number 7. The book of Hebrews chapter number 7. Verses 22 through 26. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. That's a pretty good reason not to show up, isn't it? You died. And the priest didn't show up because he died. And they truly were many priests. But this man, speaking of Christ, because he continueth ever hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth. We serve a Savior today who ever lives and will never die again. Confirming his priesthood, he ever liveth. Why does he ever live? To make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. And if that's not enough, Hebrews 8 verse 1, the writer of this book says, Now of the things which we've spoken, 
This is the sum. This is the bottom line. We have, present tense, such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the 17th chapter of John is all about. The intercessory work of Christ our high priest. And he's been doing it for the last 2,000 years. And he hadn't been sick and he hadn't died again. He's still confirming his priesthood for the believer. Not only that, Jesus Christ rose from the dead to construct an eternal home for his bride, the church. There is a reference we love because we have heard it so many times. John chapter 14, verses 2 through 3. Christ was getting ready to leave and he knew that shortly he would be crucified and after that, one day, 40 days later, he would leave this earth and be at home or at present with God the Father. And he said, I go to prepare. What's he going to prepare? A place for you. He's speaking to his church. You say, well, I thought he's speaking to the disciples. The apostles were the nucleus, first members of the church that Jesus Christ started. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. And for 2,000 years, he's been building a house for his bride. You say, well, who's the bride? The church is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's building a home for his bride. You say, well, Brother Cozart, do we know anything about it? Glad you ask. In the book of Revelation, chapter number 21, John is given a bird's eye view of this city. And he tells us about it in Revelation 21, verses 9 through 11. There came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Actually what he's saying is not so much I will show you the bride, but this is where the bride is going to live. One day we're going to be taken out of this earth and taken to the place where Jesus Christ has provided for us and prepared for us. He carried me away in the Spirit. He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was as like unto stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal And then in verse 18 it says, And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. I do not understand why our present president is so against building a wall. It's scriptural to build a wall. And the building of the wall, it was of jasper. And the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. 
and verse number 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And verse 27, There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, he cannot do that if he remains dead, ladies and gentlemen. He must rise from the dead. And this is one of the reasons. To prepare and construct an eternal home for his bride, the church. Another reason was to certify the second coming of Christ. As long as he's dead, there will not be a second coming. Is that okay? As long as he's dead for three days and three nights, if that's going to be the continual position of our Lord forever, there will not be a second coming. To have a second coming, you have to have a resurrection. Get him out of the tomb so he can come back one day in the clouds of heaven. And by the way, in Acts chapter 1, verse number 11... Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, underscore that in your Bible, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come again in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven to certify the second coming of Christ. In this passage I read from 1 Corinthians 15, in verses 23, I believe it is. Pardon me, yes, verse 20. Let me pick up with verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits. When Christ arose from the dead, he became the firstfruits. Well, what are the firstfruits? They are the sign that we can know without a doubt there's going to be some second fruits and third fruits and fourth fruits and fifth fruits. The first fruits are the first visible signs of something greater that is coming. And he's called Christ is the first fruits in 1 Corinthians 15. Please do not forget that when Christ came forth from the dead, some other folks came forth from the dead. In the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 20, 52, 53. And the graves were opened. And when did it happen? When Christ came forth from the dead. And the graves were opened and many, I love that word too, many. Not a figment of somebody's imagination. Many bodies of the saints, not just everybody, but the bodies of the saints which slept arose, they are called the first fruits, and came out of the grave after his resurrection and went into the Holy Spirit, his Holy City, pardon me, and appeared unto many. That's a pretty exciting occasion, don't you think? Some of those folk have been dead for a long time. Some of the commentaries say he's talking about Old Testament saints. I don't know how long they've been dead. The thing that appalls me is they came out of the graves and they walked around town and said, how y'all doing today? 
Huh? That's real. That's not just a, a note of excitement. It, that, that's, that happened. And dear friends, when the Lord comes the second time, it's going to happen again. The Bible makes it very clear. It will involve millions of God's children, all of God's children. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verses 13 and following. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Now, he's not calling them ignorant, brethren. There's a comma there. Isn't that good? I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those who have died, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. I love the personality here. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. He couldn't do that if he didn't resurrect from the grave. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall we ever be with the Lord. His second coming could never have happened had he not risen from the dead. Reasons for the resurrection. Another reason why Christ arose from the dead, now listen carefully, was to confront his imitator. Was to confront his imitator. In the book of Revelation, once again, chapter number 19, verse number 20, Revelation chapter 19, verse number 20. I'm sorry my marker fell out. I do know it's one of those New Testament books. Revelation chapter 19, verse number 20. Are you listening? And the beast, when the Lord comes the second time, and the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both, that is beast and false prophet, were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Hmm. Christ arose from the dead to confront his imitator. The imitator is the Antichrist. The Antichrist obviously has not appeared, for he must make his appearance, but he'll not do that until the church has been raptured out. God's people have been taken away. And just prior to the great tribulation period breaking out, the man of sin will come on the scene. Now, I don't know how ABC is going to handle that. They have a whole lot of trouble handling truth. If you want truth, once in a while, tune into Fox. 
stay off of those other stations. They're not worth a dime. They just mix you up. You don't know anything about them. Christ arose from the dead to confront his imitator. The imitator is the Antichrist. Would you let me borrow your attention? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And dear friend, I could spend a few hours on that subject right now. We're living in a falling away of things being condoned and approved today. I've never heard of such junk in all of my life as some gainsaying Democrats are trying to palm off on this world. You're welcome. Wake up. They're trying not only to destroy the government, they're not only trying to destroy the school system, they're trying to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if God's people don't stand up and defy that, who's going to do that? There'll come a falling away first, and the man of sin will be revealed. Somebody said, is that Joe Biden? Oh, come on, man. He'll be revealed, and what is his characteristics? He opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God and that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's an imitator. And Christ has a little personal attention to devote to the imitator. He chunks them both into hell. I'll let this be the last one. There are many. Why did Christ arise from the dead? He arose from the dead to conquer the devil. To conquer the devil. The devil's never been conquered. And he's not only the liar, but the father of all lies. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, He that committeth sins is of the devil still was and still is. For the devil sent it from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Why did he come forth from the tomb? He's going to deal with the devil. Pardon me while I enjoy this. Satan is described as a lion. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. Boy, he does make a racket, doesn't he? A roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. But Christ is described as a lion. Huh? Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Christ is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, you like a lot of conflict and you like a lot of fighting. 
put this one down. When lion meets lion. Lion is the king of the beast. That's why the devil is called the prince. Like a lion walking about. Because he thinks he's the king. Little does he know there's somebody bigger than he is. Huh? Is that too much for you to swallow? That Christ Jesus is bigger than the devil? All the time while Christ's body was in the tomb, Satan was having a party. It was pleasing unto him. And when the angel said, He's not here, he is risen, the devil put it in the minds of Pilate's soldiers to get a lie out. That he really didn't arise from the dead. He was just kind of in a comatose state on the cross. And he he came to in that tomb and he just walked out. Can you believe that? That comes from the devil. He's a lion walking about with his lies. And he sought to destroy the Son of God. What is the Lord going to do? If he stays dead, nothing. But he's going to be alive and he's going to come out of the tomb. He's going to resurrect and he's going to do some things. In Revelation chapter number 20, verses 1 through 3. I saw an angel come down from heaven, and this is a, again a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit. <laughs> I love this. And a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Lion number two walks up to lion number one and says, Shut up! And with a chain binds the devil and puts him in the bottomless pit. Now the Greek for that means it's a pit with no bottom. The bottomless pit. Solitary confinement. How long, Satan says? For a thousand years. Why? Because the Lord said, I'm getting ready to establish my kingdom on this earth and we don't need you around. He's going to deal with the devil. Mm. But he's released from his season, for a season, in the seventh verse of that 20th chapter. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. You know what he does? He starts enlisting a huge army to go out and destroy the Lord and to destroy his kingdom. And they went up on the breadth of the earth. They compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. But wait a minute, the best part comes in verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever and forever. One of the reasons of Christ's resurrection 
is to conquer the devil. And ladies and gentlemen, he will do precisely that. Satan is eternally disposed of. Christ arose from the grave to accomplish these things and many other things. And he has already done and will continue to do so. I believe with all of my heart, without the resurrection of our Lord, without the resurrection of our Lord, we have no joy, we have no peace, and we have no victory or anything else. It depends on his resurrection. And Paul writing to the church at Corinth, how say some among you, how in the world could some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? There are millions of people today that do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They believe that when you die, you're just like an animal. You just stop moving and stop operating and you're dead. And you're just dead and you're just dead. But we who have been saved by God's grace know that because he lives, we shall live also. And for those of you who are my peers today, you're getting old and ugly. Some days we wonder when that's going to be. I don't know, but he'll be right on time when he comes. And the change is going to happen. A new glorified body. Some of the reasons why Christ arose from the dead are, and I conclude with this statement, to complete the atonement, to confirm his priesthood, to construct an eternal home for his bride, to certify his second coming, to confront the imitator, and to conquer the devil. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead. Let's stand please for prayer.